Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Good morning and a warm welcome to the Keeping It Real podcast. I am Caroline Fleming, and if it's your first time listening, I wish you a very warm welcome. And if you've listened before, thank you very much. And I am Sophie Stanbury, and I am very, very happy to have here today Lizzie Loves Healthy, who is the Amazon bestseller of a fantastic cookbook called Lizzie Loves Healthy Family Food. And that's something I really, really want to know all about because feeding your family in the best possible way is key to having a happy, healthy home, fighting off those allergies and staying on top. So, hi Lizzie, welcome. Hello, so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for coming. Maybe Lizzie, you can uh, start off by telling us what role you think food, in fact, does play not only in children, but in all human beings? That's, that's not a small topic at all <laughs> to start off with. Yeah, so that's a great question. And um, it's essentially the reason I started doing what I'm doing, because I think it is one of the most important parts um, of our lives. Firstly, it's the, one of the most enjoyable things you can, I mean, we have to do it to stay alive, but it can be the best thing, the best part of your day. So I, for me, it, it's something that should be fun, joyful, but also every single time you put something in your mouth, you're changing the way your body is. Would it be right to say that crap food, crap behavior, good food, good behavior, is that a correct way of saying this is how food actually contributes to our health, our well-being, our emotions, etc.? Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, I notice it immediately um, with my kids. I mean, this is why I I started writing recipes and writing my blog was because I was pregnant and I, instead of just eating what I thought was feeling good and what was right, I was reading about what it was all doing to the creature growing inside me. And I was like, wow, I'm building with everything I eat. I'm building a human, which sounds pretty trite. But when you start thinking about that as a pregnant mum, it sort of blows your mind. But I was always told that it's less than 1% of what you consume that actually goes through the umbilical cord to your growing baby inside. Yeah, no, so it's not It's not that. Well, it, it's the blood. First of all, it's what you eat. It's the same as us. It goes into your blood system. Um, but with the, it, it's, it's overwhelming how it's everything. So the amniotic fluid, which your baby sits in, is flavoured with what you've eaten. And so they have done studies really recently that show that 
mothers who are eating very, very high sugar diets, the babies are licking the amniotic fluid and getting already a sense of sweet in, oh in But that's also quite extraordinary because they also say that, uh, you know, it's really important for really good health to be as alkaline as possible. And as I understand, um, our sugar, uh, sorry, our blood, obviously, is alco- alkaline if we have an alkaline diet, but it becomes very acidic if we have a very acidic diet. And sugar is the first thing that turns into acid, as does alcohol, as does meat, etc., etc. And this is what feeds cancer. Um, yeah, so there's sugar for sure feeds tumors. I mean, we know that. Um, I have read up on all the different acid, alkaline, and all of those things, but but I sort of take a bit of a broader approach in that um, food is clearly a tool that we can use to make us well, but also to keep our kids and, like you said, not just well and not you know snotty and full of coughs, especially at this time of year. But also feeling great, feeling happy, feeling like they want to smash a maths test. And I think that's actually more important in a way than the, when you're pregnant. It's really good if you're feeling good mm. because it's such an enormous takeover of your body. And I mean, mentally, physically, every single aspect of your life changes the day you get pregnant. Um, not only are you putting somebody else first from the moment you find out you're pregnant, so if you're a smoker, if you're a drinker, those things stop immediately. Um, well, you can have a small glass of wine every now and again, but I mean, for me, when I was pregnant, wine made me feel physically sick. So, and actually your body, it's interesting because your body will tell you the things that you shouldn't be having. Mm. Um, and your body reacts to things so much, you'll become so much more sensitive. So even, even though we're feeding our babies when we're pregnant, just we're feeding ourselves first and foremost to make ourselves feel the best we possibly can to help with sleep and energy. Yeah, and, and actually, interestingly, um, you're completely right. And we, we need to keep ourselves kind of extra well because our babies are sucking our stores of iron, of calcium. I mean, the reason there are higher levels of osteoporosis in, in women than men is because the calcium is leached, literally leached from our bones um, if there is not enough in the, in the what's going on for the baby. And the same with iron. They, babies do not take on any iron for the first six months of life because they just have milk. Um, and it's because they've got stores in them from us. And this is why we have to focus on keeping our iron up, keeping our vitamin D up, keeping it, you know, because we are a vehicle. I mean, I used to see myself as just like on loan, you know, yeah. to a baby. Like when people say, how much weight are you putting on? I just... Obviously, you don't want to grow into a gargantuan no. <laughs> um, beast, but equally, I did feel that it wasn't my body anymore. Yeah. It was it was and, on and loan. Then, kind and of then thing. even when the baby's born, you're then producing milk to feed the baby. If you're lucky enough to be able to breastfeed, which I was, thankfully, yeah. and some women aren't. But for me, everybody says, oh, breastfeeding is so fabulous because you lose all the baby weight straight away. No, not not me. No. It was the complete opposite. Yeah, of me. me too. I had to eat to produce the milk. It's exactly and exactly the same as me, Sophie. I, I felt more than when I was pregnant that breastfeeding hunger. Yes, and so I just had to eat. If I didn't, it was very straightforward. If I didn't eat, the milk wouldn't come. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So that's where I was. So yeah. all this brilliant. Oh, you bounce back when you breastfeed. I didn't know what was going on with my body because <laughs> I was getting bigger and bigger. But so was my baby. So actually. I couldn't have given two hoots at the time. All I cared about was my little precious little bundle. Exactly. And that they were getting enough food and nutrients and everything else through your milk. And then, of course, comes the first time of feeding them solids, which is so exciting. 
because it actually for me it was a bit of a relief that I was going to give him more than my milk and I was always hoping that my milk was going to be enough for him and then when you can add on those solids and they start sleeping better and just generally having more goodness in them it made me feel a huge amount of pressure relief yes and it does I know the weaning process and that's where I started getting into um food for children was because I I didn't like particularly the the ideas that were going around for kids food and I thought it was all a bit boring um and a bit bland and and also there seemed to be just this this idea of hiding vegetables and everything so mm. there was always a banana added or the, you know, true, in all the pouches and all the yeah. whatevers there was always sweet I, stuff. I, I was religiously pureeing in my yeah. puree machine with from Annabelle Carmel doing all the introducing the yes. vegetables first yes. and then yes. you could introduce the fruits but you couldn't introduce the other way around because the baby was like uh, exactly but, but this was when I um but I didn't know better and no it was I mean, very bland it, it was fine but I mean but that's when I started doing what I'm doing and what I originally did before I had the blog and the book and the recipes um was I made it so I would make a, a four-week weaning pack all frozen mm-hmm. and ready to go sort of every meal and I was doing a delivery service from home and it was, you know... Oh, so you were actually selling it? I was making it and selling it, wow. yeah, because I realised that people are this really hard and yeah. actually following whoever it was, Gina Ford or Anna Kamel, as much as, you know, they're great, it, it could have sometimes was a little bit boring and it's actually... It's a bit monotonous, what, yeah. What's wrong with the uh, butternut squash and spinach, you know? Let's try it yes. out, see what happens. Very funnily enough, my children, I found that... Um, they had really quite sophisticated palettes from very early on. I remember Alexander sitting on the kitchen counter, age nine months old, and I just made myself a little espresso shot, and I'd forgotten all about it, so it had calmed down, and he sat there, and all of a sudden, I just saw him, and he was drinking, and he went, mmm, oh and this was at gosh. the same time as... He must have been on the ceiling. <laughs> in Denmark, children need a lot of open sandwiches, as you know, and what's really good about it is you get to have this Danish rye bread, which is thick and fresh and filled with a lot of fiber. One of the toppings that we love is liver pate, which is, you know, a relatively delicious, not too strong flavor. But Alexander instead, forget the liver pate, he wanted to have foie gras. Oh and his first baby puree that he really loved, aged five and a half, six months old, was pureed cocoma. I found that if I, I would do a whole bunch, I had the beer for baby cook, which was yes, incredible. I love that. I put five different vegetables in and then I would always take a spoonful of whatever we were eating. So when I blended all the steamed vegetables, I'd put a steam a spoonful in of whatever dish we'd had. That's clever. And this cock oma he loved. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really interesting. Um and that's kind of what I was getting at in, in giving kids more normal, straight you know, food that you're eating, exactly. I mean other cultures you you start from the kitchen, you have what everyone's making and Things like dal and things with, you know, some spices. They don't have to be spicy spices, chili or... But they can be aromatic mm. and, and strong flavours like that. So I got this book called Whole Food for Children by this amazing Australian woman called Jude Bleureau. She sounds French. She's Australian. Um, and she advocates, which is a really old going way back, she advocated um, egg yolks, liver, things like that as first foods. And that all these high-carb veg that we were just doing just basically water and veg for the first you know two or three months was actually not what they needed they needed egg yolks concentrated I mean lots of people balk at all this offal and all these ideas but yeah Mm. but higher iron um because as I said at six months that iron runs out and so I was just trying to amalgamate 
all these ideas and say, okay, well, you don't just have to eat steamed vegetables for mm. three months, you know, because actually it can be really, really boring, boring and watery. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, introducing children to lots of various flavors from a young age has a huge impact. And I, you know, often find myself with people being incredibly complimentary of my children, which I'm, which makes me it's it's so nice when people say lovely things about your children but one thing that's always impressed people with my children is the fact that they literally eat everything mm-hmm. they eat all food from all countries um and it makes it such a job mm-hmm. you know eating from 20 different countries yeah, in a month is incredible an and they really enjoy it yeah i think yeah. for my boys certainly they just love to be adventurous and even if they don't like something they pretend they do because they feel it's it's you know it's exciting and they want to impress mummy and daddy and their friends and you know I mean obviously you know they're obsessed with Sharon Bow. I think that's yeah 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 which was uh, I had uh, I had Harry and Finn here I've had them many times here I love them they're definitely uh, my kids brothers from another mother no doubt about that but what's hilarious is on a couple of occasions and I've asked them what they wanted to eat and I mean the first time he was like oh, my time I don't wanna and it was Excuse me, I beg your pardon, but he was, of course, uh, talking about the particular type of dumpling that he wanted to have. But, you know, another thing that I think is really, really beneficial around children, and especially for those who find it rather a challenge to get all the good, healthy stuff into their children's diets, is I find that with my children, you know, we love looking at cookbooks. And um, and for them to actually pick out the dish that mm. they really feel like eating and then making them a part of the whole project from the moment we go and do our groceries they are back helping in the kitchen preparing all the food and then we sit down and enjoy it and they feel as if it's their project yeah. which then makes it taste so much more delicious exactly and actually that's how we broke the pattern of harry being a really fussy eater was getting him to help cook yeah t- totally and and i remember one of the first recipes i wrote for this book which was crispy duck pancakes with hoist, with homemade hoisin sauce one of my kids favorites yeah. right and and, and, ours. And, and and it looks like um something that you wouldn't necessarily feed young children i mean my kids have had it from a tiny age but they love the whole process as you said of, of getting yeah. it and making yeah. it but also of having a pancake in front of them and having yeah. that sort of autonomy of yeah. building their own thing even when they're three Absolutely. or whatever and the you know the problem with lots of these sauces are they are pretty full of junk and you'd think hoisin sauce was tricky to make but this is super easy and you're bubbling it up with so some what garlic cloves. That one? It's page one five four of my right, book. I'm going to mark that because we do cheat on hoisin sauce. We normally buy it. Well, honestly, people people think that is such a pain. Why would I ever make my own sauce? But it, honestly, it's a little pot bubbling away with a garlic clove in it, and mm. it makes all the difference. I make it for friends as well as my kids, and they, it's the, always the one thing that they scribble down on the way. Or they mm. just take photos because you know they want. I, I'm it. definitely going to try that. But I was going to ask you, Lizzie, because can't you make life a little bit easier and, for example, take your recipe and make a quadruple yeah. portion and then either keep it in an airtight container in the fridge or maybe even freeze it down? I find that because I really want my children to eat fresh food, um, I find that, for example, if I make meatballs or I make fish balls or I make a, a bolognese, for example... I can often be found making either a double or a quadruple portion and then I will freeze it immediately because I've learned that if you buy your ingredients fresh today and you produce them today, you make whatever dish it is and then you freeze it, the, the whole freezing process actually maintains, retains all the nutrients. Yeah. 
And that, of and, course, and is making life a lot easier. As a busy mum, that is absolutely essential in our lives. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times that I've had, you know, got stuck in a meeting and called my au pair and said, please, can you whip out that bolognese in the freezer, defrost it and give it to the boys for supper? It's just good to have that backup and a good backup that's not always fish fingers or sausages or other processed food, that food that you've actually taken time to make and easily freeze. It's the quickest, simplest solution. Yeah, totally. I mean, that, that was... Um, the sort of point of my book was that all the recipes you can make, as many, uh, you know, triple, quadruple size, you can give it to your husband when he comes home from work, you can give it to your friends who are coming over for dinner, or you can have a stash left in the freezer for your kids. Um, because exactly like you were saying, the freezing process is really interesting. Unlike, you know, jars and pots and things that have been sitting around for ages that are, have got some sort of um, preservative in, which I'm not crazy about um free the freezing process keeps locks in i mean we know from mr bird's eye from way back when it locks in the vitamins and the nutrients okay you lose a tiny fraction but it's not the same as the preservatives i mean this is what used to drive me nuts is going on holiday with my babies um when they were weaning and finding jars i mean the jars of bolognese sauce that that were going to be on the shelf for two years. And the smell, no, I mean, bad. you'd open the pot, you'd smell it. Yeah. And you'd see people spooning these things into their kids' mouths and then, like, turning their noses up at the mm. smell. And I was just like, I don't really want to put something in my kid's mouth, my baby's mouth, that makes me feel sick to yeah. smell. <laughs> and also, those are the simplest things to make. I mean, quite often, if we've run out of the, the pantry's bare and we're waiting for our food delivery or haven't had time to go to the supermarket, which happens quite regularly, mm-hmm. um... I will just get a garlic clove out, fry it off, add some tomatoes, uh, add some herbs, and do a really nice steamed down tomato sauce with pasta, which I'd rather give mm. them than, than a fish finger or a sausage, yeah. frankly. Well, you're so good, Sophie. I always see you um, cooking up. I think you cook. Well, we all do. Bro- I think we yeah. all have that in common. We love cooking, and the kids love cooking. We cook together with the kids. Yeah, we well, need to do fun. that again, because that's yes. really fun. I know, but it's my job, and you, you're just amazing, because well, you fit it in. But I enjoy it. I think, And for me, it's downtime with the kids. So it's actually become an activity for us to enjoy as a family, which is a lovely way to all just hang out, enjoy making something special, you know, mm. even if it's something quick. So, you know, quite often I'll make the main meal if we're in a rush, and then the boys will come and help me do a pudding or a smoothie or a this or a that, which takes 10 minutes in the thermomix. I mean, it's nice to spend longer, but after school, once you've done the homework and everything else, time is precious mm. and runs out fast. <laughs> yeah, and I was actually, the, your first question, I was just thinking of that um, just now, so about the importance of food. The main thing that once you get through all the micronutrients and macronutrients and, you know, what everyone's having, you know, how much everyone likes a sweet potato or doesn't, actually, the, the biggest thing to think about, if you just step back and stop fussing about our meal plans and our order that's arriving this evening and you know what our husband wants and blah blah blah. the the huge thing in the bigger picture is is such a privilege we are giving another human the first taste of food Mm. you know we are providing their first the first things that that taste they're going to have and I think that's such a privilege you know yeah I agree and also the other thing is sorry just to go back to the moods for the children if I, if I give my children something very hearty at night, like a shepherd's pie or a, a meaty, carby dish, I know that they're going to sleep better mm. than if I've given them possibly duck wraps or something. But oh, we really? do use the hoisin sauce, obviously. But it's just, you know, something really 
salad mm. that kind of sits mm. in their tummy and comfort food. Pie always works really well. Yeah. Pasta homemade bolognese. Yeah. Those are the kind of things I tend to cook more of in the winter. Yeah. And then the lighter stuff in the summer. Mm. But I find that all the meals that we cook, um, it's it's such a great other language of love. Exactly. Um, and I've always felt like that. And it's actually the way that I've also been brought up. And, you know, I remember from the earliest time, action in my family always happened in the kitchen. Yeah. My father was a phenomenal cook. My mother was a great cook. Although when she met my father, she couldn't boil an egg. But he basically <laughs> taught her. And they had so much joy through their cooking together. My grandmother was a phenomenal cook. Mm. And I've grown up with with... with this great interaction in the kitchen mm. and the creation of these wonderful feasts. And I've grown up around so many guests who would come in and out of our house and just absolutely loving and being so grateful for these mm. wonderful meals. And I remember as soon as I got my first apartment when I was modeling, you know, one of the greatest pleasures for me was when time allowed, when I wasn't traveling, etc., etc. I loved to host these dinner parties. Still to this mm. day, I find it is so magical to assemble, whether it's my children, family, friends, whatever it might be, but I love to spend time creating this meal and serving it to them because I do think that it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful way of loving them. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I like yourself. Yeah, but yeah. it really is. And uh, so I've written four cookbooks. I wrote my first one in 2008 as I was doing um, uh, one of my TV shows in Denmark. And the whole philosophy behind the first one, and I hear this from a lot of people, is, well, I can't afford to cook. I can't afford to create these meals. So my first book that I ever wrote is where each dish costs five pounds or less. And you can wow. feed up to six mouths. Because it was really important to me to show people that if you actually really plan your fridge, you plan your larder, you plan your meals, then you can actually eat really good, healthy, delicious food for not very much money. Yeah. Then the next challenge I heard from a lot of people was, well, I don't actually have time to cook. So my second book was very much about... If you have five minutes, if you have 10 minutes, if you have 15 minutes, if you have 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it might be. And funnily enough, you know, the things that take an hour or two hours or seven hours for that matter. For example, a slow-cooked lamb. I made one the other day. You guys saw it as we were here in the kitchen. Can I just tell you guys, as you saw, I opened the box, I washed it, I salted it, I put it in a dish in the oven with water in the bottom, covered it with silver foil. I left it there for eight hours. This was the most unbelievable slow-cooked lamb. When I came back later on, in a blender, I put lots of green herbs mm -hmm. with, uh, exactly, with onion and garlic and olive oil and lemon juice, a um, little bit of oh, apple yeah. cider vinegar. And we had this on the side. I then grated sweet potato, normal potato, created a roshti. So we did roshti with a slow-cooked lamb with this green sauce. It was unbelievable, and I kid you not when I tell you that I spent under 10 minutes preparing this, and it tasted like a 10-hour job. Okay, I know I'm having on Saturday for my lunch, <laughs> <laughs> but but that sounds unbelievable, and I did see you putting that in the oven last week, and I wish we'd been invited for dinner. Yes. <laughs> next time, next time. <laughs> but it's exactly, you're exactly right, and I think it's, it's quite um, a British thing, um, the no time, no money thing for cooking but I also think it, it is just a priority um, thing it doesn't have to take a lot of time it doesn't have to take a lot of money but I think in our heads it can be that extra thing that we 
just can't be bothered to do. So for me, exactly what you said before, the batch cooking thing and the meal planning thing, but also, so I have like a three-point plan about, you know, time and money on food. There's the the batch cooking, then there's the rehash, batch, rehash, and plan. amazing at that. I watch your stories to see the rehashes. What to do when you've roasted a chicken and you've got leftovers. So it's it's not just about cooking a bolognese and having five more meals in the freezer. It's about cooking a bolognese and then making it two days later adding some red using beans a, and and some spices and, and, some, it in a and adding, adding some rice and having a chili con carne or exactly roasting a sweet potato and having it just changing it up and adding some turmeric and then you've got a different thing or putting it in a quesadilla. You know, yeah. you just can have one base thing that you've spent time cooking exactly, and you can rejig it for yeah. the next. That's Weak. brilliant. I, I'm bad at that because I get scared. But um, I get scared I'm going to make it taste funny the next day. <laughs> well, I do, like you said, I do, do try and do that on stories. I do, so I get my inspiration from you for doing that. That's good. <laughs> I always try to recreate something that you've done. Um, and actually, this, I have to say, your stories are so brilliant because you make it so easy to follow. And then you always do a swipe up. To go and actually get the recipe. Well, it's so just it's, nice it's my chaotic food. kitchen. I mean, it's and, not and it a studio. No, but it's brilliant and it's hands on and it's fresh ingredients. It's real. It's what's left in your cupboard. When I finished a, a week's uh, order of food, there's never anything left in my cupboard. We no, literally exactly. empty the fridge of everything. All the vegetables, meat, eggs, everything. Mm. The fridge is empty by the time my next food delivery comes. So I think that's also a really important thing for me is food wastage. And planning. Such you know, an important in topic. In my head, at the beginning of the day, I know what I'm going to make for the children for supper. Mm-hmm. And I've got my ingredients ready. And it's it's kind of mentally already planned. And then it's just a question of when I'm going to make it for them. So we always have supper between 5.30 and 6 o'clock. Um, but, uh, but before we've even got in the kitchen, I know what I'm going to do. Right. So I'm usually not as organized. Um, and I quite often stare into my fridge and hope for some answers. But I'm also, I mean, similar to you, Caroline, I, my, my parents' food was the, was the big deal. And, and we would sit and have lunch on a Saturday and my dad would be asking my mum what was for supper and she would lose the screws because she just couldn't cope with how focused everyone was on food. But, and every holiday was about which restaurant we were going to go out to. And, you know, it was such a big deal. But for me, it's like I open the fridge and it's like, okay, let's have a bit of that, bit of that, bit of that, bit of that. And let's see, how, see what happens. I'm exactly like you, and you've just reminded me of the most hysterical thing, and we would often laugh about it in my family, because while we were eating, we were talking about food. Yeah. If we weren't talking about food, we were discussing the next meal. If we weren't mm-hmm. discussing the next meal, we were talking about a restaurant. Yeah. It was all about food, yeah. constant food, all the time, totally. and we would giggle so much about it, but I'm very much like you. Open the fridge, see what's in it, and improvise, and, and I think it's, you know, it's got a lot to do with also to actually, instead of thinking, oh, I have to cook again, I'm like, yay, what a pleasure, you know, what? how lucky are we that we are in a position to have the time and opportunity to be able to open a cold fridge where there is fresh food inside, and I'm not someone who, you know, spends excessive amounts, but I will say that food to me is a priority, and if I were to choose between going down the pub and having three pints of lager, or I thought, you know what, I would rather (laughs) give my, well, I don't, because you see, (laughs) this is, (laughs) no, but what I'm saying is, this is not something I do. I mean, if you if you if you're on a tight budget, you'd rather have nice food in the fridge than go out for dinner with your friends. Well, you know what, my love, 
we're, we're, we're all on a budget. Yeah. We are all Everything on a budget. We all, yeah. you know, in one way or another, we yeah. are all on a budget. But I've decided that, you know, a, a chunk of my weekly expenditure is absolutely going to go on food because I... I'm such a firm believer in we are what we eat. And it really is the foundation of our physical health, mm. our emotional health, our spiritual well-being at the end of the day. We all know what it feels like to have the curse of the burger. You know, curse of the burger means I want to go and lie on a sofa afterwards. However, on the other hand, if you'd had a slice of grilled salmon with some delicious vegetables or a nice salad, you know, you feel energetic. You just have more energy. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day... What makes you feel good? What gives you great energy? It's probably going to be the same for your kids. You know, I found, again, when I was filming in Denmark, there was a family who only ate white food. For breakfast, they had white bread with butter and cheese. On weekends, it became brown because they were given the jar of Nutella. You know, they ate white pasta every day, white rice every day. They may have been lucky enough to get a chicken nugget and a French fry in that. But this was basically, this was their diet. And they couldn't understand why, you know, their children felt sluggish, you know, they weren't performing so well in school, you know, the general vibe in the family wasn't that great. As soon as that was tweaked a little bit, still with the budget that they had, but we were able to add lots of vegetables, Actually, we were able to serve smaller portions, yeah. but higher quality yeah. ingredients. All of a sudden, they found that not only were they happier with each other, their moods were much better, that also meant that they could concentrate in school you know, they, so, they, so the performance in general actually, was just so much better. Yeah, and they I, felt so much better. And, and that's so true. But my, my question to you, Lizzie, because I know this is something that came up when I first... So Leo, my girlfriend, said, watch Lizzie, because I know Harry doesn't like certain foods. This is when he was very little. So this was quite a long time ago. And I was... stalking me, Sophie. Yeah, I've been stalking me for years, <laughs> Lizzie. Um, but, uh, no, it was how do you get your children to actually experiment with food when they don't want to? So how do you get your child to eat a piece of broccoli? How do you get your child to eat a carrot? You know, should we be hiding them and tricking them? Or should we be, as you say, I think you said before, we reintroduce them, take them out, reintroduce them. But what are the fun, clever ways? I mean, I always used to make a face on the plate. So if I was going to serve, uh, you know, carrots and broccoli, I'd make the carrots, the ears and the and the, uh, the the broccoli the ears, the carrot the nose, and like you know, olives the pretty. eyes, and just kind of have a game with it. Yes, yeah, so that's a, such a good question, and that I think is the most asked question. I have more emails about that than anything else. Mm. Um, and so I did put a chapter in the intro of my book about 10 steps to crack fussy eaters because the publishers are just like, everyone's asking for this. Mm. Can we have something on this? So I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a child psychologist, but I have three kids and I have a sort of massive love of food. Um, and I have learned over the last 11 years that for me, I just didn't, didn't dig the vibe of hiding stuff and duping my kids um, because I feel like, I mean, I don't take my kids out to the opera with me, but I feel like they should be on a level with me in lots mm. of ways. And I'm having conversations with them about stuff that's rich. I'm keeping it real, ladies. Exactly, yeah. but I'm the same. I'm completely um, the same. Yeah, and so for me, the, the sort of three important things for, for, for getting kids who don't, I mean, my kids definitely do not eat everything I put in front mm. of them. It's not all roses in China, whatever the expression Butterflies is. and rainbows. Yeah, unicorns and ponies. But, you know, there's definitely grunting, grunting 11-year-old saying, oh, did I sweet potato? Or, you know, yeah. some little three-year-old who's chucking stuff on the floor and 
So what I do for me and what I've done, I do lots of workshops um, that I've done for families and for kids who've had lots of troubles with food. And I find for me, the three really important things are be really open and straight up about it. Do not hide broccoli under a piece of cheese or do not chop it up tiny and then whiz it in a blender and just say, no, no, there's no green stuff in here. Um, doesn't help anyone. Um, the second thing is give them the give them the knowledge. I mean, they may be three, um, but they get it. They, they're not they're not going to buy the thing that it's going to turn them into Batman or this crap that I was reading in, in kids' books. You know, put a put a super you know superhero thing on and tell them that they're going to become Batman. It's so they then look at Popeye you. Muscles. All of that they look at you and they go, oh okay, this is a grown up duping me again, and mm. they totally get it. I mean, we I know my generation before they did that a lot mm. but I find a, a small nugget whatever's age appropriate but for example a tiny three or four year old you you tell them spinach has got really good vitamin the green stuff has got vitamins in it that's going to stop you getting a snotty nose simple mm. or this piece of chicken my littlest really doesn't like meat which maybe he's just going to be vegetarian but I think it's just a texture thing um this is going to make you run faster in the playground because it's got, you know, iron in it. And they get it. And then they're like, oh, okay. And then we have a deal that's a complete, uh, you know, non-negotiable deal that they have to try everything once. Even if it's a sweet potato that they had two weeks ago, if it's in a slightly different way or on a different... You have to try it. Everything that goes on your plate, you try it. I don't have to finish the plate. I don't buy into the clean plate thing. Um, but you have to try it. And, and we had this battle. And then I was, I came up with a little... Okay, well, you, someone walks into the nursery um, on day two that you don't know. You don't go, I don't like that person. Mm. You go up and you have a chat with them. And then you know if you like them. And they looked at me and they got it. Yeah. I remember having mm. that conversation quite young. And they're like, okay, mummy, mm. I can have a chat with my sweet potato. That's fine. Mm. And that's how it, it helps. But I do think this whole honesty is a really, really good thing. Because I think it's very important for children to be conscious and conscious about what's really good for them and will help their bodies and their brains in the development. Yeah. And what's not very good for them. And another thing that I've also found really helps is, you know, take, for example... 10 different vegetables and cut them into sticks do crudités and put mm. them in front of them mm. and then, and then do make together with them a hummus yeah. dip a guacamole yeah. dip various dips yeah. and just you know pick Play up on which uh, flavours that they really mm. like and I bet you that there will be more vegetables than you think possible that the children will actually really enjoy yeah. and you know instead of sitting with a bag of crisps you know I will give my children almonds uh, I'll give them various nuts. I'll give them raisins to go with the nuts mm -hmm. or dates to go with the nuts as an after-school snack instead of giving that, giving mm -hmm. them, you know, the bag of crisps. Well. Or on the other hand, I will make really good whole food cookies with good mm -hmm. ingredients. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I just find that this big tray of crudités with a couple of dips is an yeah, absolute winner. So the time that yeah. they're hungry before dinner, they yeah. want to have a snack, but you don't want them to ruin their appetite by eating crap before dinner and then they won't eat their dinner. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Lizzie. Mm -hmm. For all of our lovely listen, listeners out there, and, and there's no judgment on any way, shape or form of, of what you're feeding your kids. And if you feel like you've been feeding them too much sugar, let's face it, there are times when we do give them sugar and we've seen the reaction, it's not always good. Mm -hmm. But, you know, no criticism, no judgment. But if you are in a position where you are giving your kids too much sugar... What are your tips for weaning them off and what can you give them to to give them a, a fun, uh, you know, exciting moment that they feel like they're having sugar when they're not? What are your tri tri 
tricks and tips. Yeah, this is a, another um, big, big one. And I, when I wrote the book, um, I made all the recipes free of refined sugar because I just thought it was more straightforward to have it, you know, clear cut. There, mm -hmm. there is no refined sugar in the book. But I don't not. I mean, it's not banned in in our house at all. But it's just lower than than the average, you know, cookie in a jar. Mm -hmm. um, so what I try and do is add flavour instead of sweet. So if you look at lots of um, processed biscuits and cakes and things that you can buy in the shop that are mm -hmm. going to have a lot of high sugar content, they also have other grotty ingredients, usually like palm oil. Mm -hmm. um, I know that's you know, going round the rounds because of the orangutans. Have you seen that old blood mm. oh, um, Yeah, but interestingly, that really gets the kids more than almost any stuff you can tell them about their own health. Mm. You know, seeing them seeing orangutans in danger has has, a, has made so many kids sit up and say, I don't really want palm oil in my food anymore. Yeah. So that's a powerful one. But for me, again, it's, it's explaining stuff and it's about telling kids... Um, what makes them feel good and, and actually being in charge of I mean we talked about the clean plate thing already but I often say if I'm worried that my kids are just trying to rush off and not finish their food I say to them ask your tummy like mm. is it full or mm. you know you're the only one who knows and getting that getting them to tune in to how food makes them feel and how they are um, how, you know whether they're full or not I think is, is really a useful skill to learn at a young age and I do that with the sugar thing as well I mean they go to kids parties and we have parties and we definitely have sugar yeah um and i i'll say to them you know they'll have a little bit of icing off a cupcake or they'll have half a cupcake because it just looks you know so damn delicious and then they, they'll leave it and i'll always say you know afterwards i'll go did you did you not like the cupcake and they'll go it was a bit fulling one of them says fulling it was a bit fulling it was a bit too sweet it was a bit too and then they say yeah and i did feel a little bit uh, uh, afterwards and they'll yeah. come out with a funny word so or, they do get it they yeah. really do get it um, and Halloween, especially, it's like, okay, well, one thing we do at Halloween is we fill up on food yeah. before we go anywhere. Yes. That's my biggest tip for sugar, good is idea. make sure you get the good so stuff in first. Just looking all chapter. Yeah, sorry. There I have got a chapter in my book called Seven Steps to um, a Sugar-Free Family. I've actually yeah, got a program on my website. I've got a four weeks to a sugar-free family, which has okay, completely well, blown amazing. people away. So we'll, we'll do a swipe up to that on our stories for yeah. our lovely listeners um, when we do the podcast so that they can get that straight away. Um, because I think that's just, you know, sometimes it's just good to have a guide and, yes. and uh, something that you can refer back to so you feel like you're doing it right and you're not boring yeah. your children or defining exactly. them. Exactly. Because a lot of us feel like sugar is a reward. You know, I know. Sweet is a reward. And a, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, the whole other um, problem for me, but because I think it, it, it is, you then feel like you are demonising yeah. stuff, and you are becoming this monster mother who's not allowing this and not allowing that. But I really try hard to not make it like that. And we now have a joke at home that um, the Haribos or the cupcakes or whatever aren't the treat; they're actually the the, the booby prize. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the broccoli is the treat, guys, because that's what's going to make you feel great. And they're that's very love. clever. Yeah, right. Um, but but I I would say don't do a ban on I mean the idea of banning stuff for kids mm. I think is emotionally scary anyway and you can then set you up for a whole host of other problems later um, but things like shopping online when you've got small kids then they can't chuck all the cocoa pops in your trolley and start yeah. all those fights um, don't waste hunger that's my biggest favourite thing I mean what you were just saying about your big bowls of, of crudite and stuff when they're starving hungry. 
or when they're about to go to bed and they just want to do anything to, oh, apart from go to bed. Those two times are times when you can fill them up with delicious vegetables or any stuff that you want to try new stuff out on them, you know? And um, just, um, I just want to quickly ask you one more thing. Um, you are celiac, is that right? Yes, yes. What does that mean? So that means I'm allergic to gluten. But I only found that out a couple of years ago. Um, I was, I had IBS, I had all sorts, my gut was a disaster. And then eventually I had a camera down my throat and they found out that I was actually celiac. Um, so I, yeah, I don't eat any gluten. And so how do you handle that on a daily basis? How do you manage, do you just, you just make everything without gluten for you and the children? Yeah, I do. Um, because it is such a, you know, even a teaspoon or even a little trace is, is just a wasteland for my stomach. Um, so I don't, but it's actually really straightforward. I mean, I cook most most of the things that we eat anyway. So it's not that hard. And actually, all it means you're taking out is it's flour, is flour yes. yes, and a few other grains. So essentially, if you're cooking lots of vegetables, lots of fresh fish, fresh meat, whatever, it's it's not it's not in there anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's a sort of filler in lots of foods often mm. anyway. Sophie and I have a thing that we love to do on our past, on our podcast, um, which is drink of the week, book of the week, Dish of the week and advice of the week. So, shall we start? What is everyone's drink of the week? Ooh, I mean, I don't really. I haven't really got one for this week. Water. I think water for me is a is a massive part of my daily routine. I drink masses on a on a daily basis because it just makes me feel good. Um, I think, given that it's December and um, I'm needing extra energy. My collagen coffee is my drink of the week. I make a good collagen coffee latte. I love that too. And my drink of the week is definitely a chai tea latte sweetened with maple syrup and almond milk. And what about your dish of the week? Um, my dish of the week is probably, is it, I don't think it's a dish, mince pies. But I've just, once I start making mince pies, my kids, it's their favorite thing. Again, it's quite a grown-up flavour, oh, but they absolutely love them. So I've got a really good recipe with which has orange zest and orange juice, and it's totally gluten-free. Yeah, that sounds delicious. I'm definitely making that. I'm going to this week be um, baked sweet potato mm. with uh, the remainders of the spaghetti bolognese we had the other day. Yeah. With there you go. And then afterwards, gratinated in the oven with a little bit of cheese on top. I'm going to go with the Spanish omelette, which is something my kids have got really into recently. It's super easy to make. And it's it's mm. one meal in one pan. Mm. It takes 10 minutes. And it's absolutely delicious and full of flavour. And do you guys have a little book of the week recommendation? Ooh. Do you know what? I Because I'm doing um, the Christmas... Christmas lists at the moment. I've been having a little look, and I always have too many books by my bed. But Michelle Obama's new biography, um, autobiography, <gasps> called Becoming. It says Becoming, and then it just says Michelle Obama straight away. And I just think she is the most unbelievable human being ever. So I can't wait to read it. Apparently, it's fabulous. Um, but I put it on my Christmas. I've got a Christmas gift guide if you want to go and have a look at it. Oh, that's exciting. I'm going to go for your book, Lizzie, because you're sitting right here with us right now. And I do actually refer back to it quite a lot for, for little hacks and tricks and easy tips to do. And the sugar-free um, family food is, is also awesome. I haven't actually had time to pick up a book in the last 10 days. 
I can't wait to get on an airplane this weekend and read, finish off reading my book that I gave us my last book of the week. Um, but your book is brilliant. Um, you know, just an easy reference, easy to follow, healthy, happy, good fun little cookbook, which um, is, is lovely to cook along with your kids. And my book of the week is one of Rumi's wonderful collections of his beautiful poems and works, which are just very heartwarming mm. and wonderful and just completely gorgeous. Rumi's book of love poems is to die for. I'm going to order that now. Thank you so much, sweet Lizzie, for coming on our podcast today. Oh, I'm not so, sweet so <laughs> very sweet. No, but the thing that I also love with Lizzie is that you know she makes it very clear that life is about balance, you know, and there is space for everything. Because I do think it's really important to to not uh, be too fanatical about anything, you know. I, I very much. Yeah, it's a terrifying thing. It's a terrifying thing. It's a terrifying thing. You can have your cake and eat it, just mm. in moderation. And I think that's a really good point, having a really healthy, happy relationship with food. You know, moderation, doing things that make you happy, eating things that, that make you feel good and whole and happy and full of life. I think it's super important. So thank you, Lizzie. Not at all. Um, food should be a joy and to make it, to eat it and to share it with the people you love. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We will see you again next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.